Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a conversation with Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets. You can find his stuff at the Mini Break Podcast, the Great Shot Podcast. One of my favorite people to talk tennis with for one of my favorite shows of the year. After the first week of Wimbledon, round of 16 is behind us. Quarterfinal is ahead. I start with uh, some storylines, and then we will go through every single men's quarterfinal match, give our thoughts, give our predictions. Uh, Before we do that, I'm just going to tell you everything we hit on. Uh, We do the Alcaraz-Sinner debate. We do uh, a little bit of Tim Von Reithoven talk, flash in the pan, here to stay. What is going on with the Dutchman? Uh, The gap between Djokovic and Nadal and everybody else on grass, discussing if that exists. If so, how big is it? And Nick Kyrgios, what's going on here? How much of a chance does he have to contend for this title? And uh, something that I didn't talk about on purpose after the Pass match, uh, what does he mean for the sport? I know that's been discussed a lot over the course of his career, but seems apt that we revisit it. And uh, Gruskin and I, um, I, I think, bring a pretty important perspective I think to this because we are in the demographic of of the the younger uh tennis audience so all of that and more without further ado here's Alex Gruskin we're joined once again by Alex Gruskin the voice of cracked rackets good friend of the program on many times at this point and uh excited to get into the quarterfinals and beyond at Wimbledon Gruskin Appreciate you joining me again. Always a pleasure. I bow to you, as is the custom yep. when it comes to Wimbledon and obviously our power dynamic between the two of us. Always a pleasure to get the chance to join you and for Monday Match Analysis fans who missed it. Gil calling the SoCal Pro Circuit semifinals on our Crack Racket stream this past weekend. That's Gil at his best, folks. And so always a pleasure to get the chance to return the favor here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure I'm sure many of the viewers were were tuned in. Speaking of bowing, would this be approved at Wimbledon, what I'm wearing right now? That's a great question. I had the thought, if you put it on post-match in, like, the press conference, they'd be like, well, it's a little chilly. So, you know, he has to cover his arms. There's a draft going through. I, it's it's centerfold, though. You could say, I wear my heart on my chest, and maybe they'd laugh at the joke and be like, we'll allow it. The sad thing is, you know Davidovich Fokina is going to get fined five grand for skying that ball on match point? That's a fine, a four-figure fine. That, to me, is absurd. Like, that is infuriating that that – if that skying a ball cost me $5,000, there'd be a lot of life choices reconsidered after that. It feels like when something seriously bad happens, yeah. the fines are not enough. Yeah. In the same breath, when stupid, meaningless stuff happens <laughs> – the fines are too much. Yeah, no, like, Kyrgios drops an F-bomb, it's 15K. But, like, again, I could use my racket cold cock and, like, decapitate a lines person, and they're like, eh, 250. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> We're going to get into all of the quarterfinals, pick them all. I uh, want to hit the storylines at the top. Um, we just watched Monday, and it wasn't manic. Uh, what do you think of the <laughs> – what do you think of the new schedule here? You play oh, on well. Sunday – like a normal tournament now i'm still a little hungover for my sunday at wimbledon strawberries and cream so i won't lie that it gets a little overwhelming in the stomach at these days i mean i've enjoyed it 
thoroughly. I actually have felt, and maybe I'm projecting my own feelings onto the past month of play, but for the first time in my lifetime covering tennis, it felt like this grass court season actually mattered. And part of that was due to the fact that this Wimbledon isn't offering points. So we got to see the Daniil Medvedevs of the world, the Stefano Tsitsipas of the world, Nick Kyrgios's of the world, not just play Wimbledon, but play two, three, in some cases, all four grass court warm-up events. Normally, grass is just a blip in the radar, right? It happens so quickly. You forget it's there by the time you hit the Atlanta portion of the summer hard court stretch. I think the play's been outstanding. I think the players are getting better on grass courts. Like, I know this isn't a storyline we're going to talk about. Big picture, big picture. Wasn't this grass court season a massive victory for Stefano Tsitsipas? Don't you feel way better about him on this surface moving forward than you did 12 months ago? Because it's just like after projecting his serve forehand volley game should work on this surface, it is working on this surface. And I think he is the best epitomization of something that applies to a bunch of players. It just felt like we gathered a lot of data during this grass court season. Yeah, I'd say that's true. I mean, my answer to your question, do I think more of him? I would say the same. It's nice that he picked up the Mallorca title, but I mean, I, you know, I, I put all of this stuff on record, so it's easy for me to kind of evaluate this stuff. I had him as ninth in my power rankings, one behind Kyrgios, and I thought he'd lose in the third round to Kyrgios. So I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, I think more of him now. I, I think he did exactly what at least I expected. 1997 coaches poll voted Michigan the national champions in football. Not since that poll has there been more integrity than the Gilgross power rankings poll. So <laughs> if he's ninth in that ranking, I'm going to take your word for it. We'll be able to monitor it moving forward. I also think, to your point, and you tweeted this out, I wanted to quote the, the podcast link where you said it initially because I believe it was on a Cracked Rackets podcast where you offered a, I think Carlos Alcaraz is going to win not just one Wimbledon title, but it might be his best surface moving forward. After watching his first three matches, like you could feel that steam picking up after what he did to Oscar Ota, which should probably be a $10,000 fine. That was ruder than anything Davidovich Fokina did on court during that fifth set. Like I, I just, again, data gathering. Finally, after no 2020 grass court season, it feels like that's what we could do this year. I, that wasn't first on my list of topics, but you know, uh, we're, we'll, we'll hit it. You know, I mean, I, who, who's the host here? I don't know. Uh, Alcaraz center debate is, is one that we've been having for a long time. I've kind of claimed victory already with that and said, okay, I was right. Cause it goes back a while with us and I was team Alcaraz and, and, and you liked Yannick, um, you liked him a lot. I don't know if like it was definitively more, but you were team Yannick in the debate. Okay. You got to win. You got to win. So how do you feel? And, and what did that mean to you? I know we're not supposed to joke about prison, but it was tax fraud. So I think it's safe to say sinners moved ahead of Becker in the redhead powering. <laughs> like, I think we can firmly put sinner now one spot ahead of him. He's been magnificent, absolutely spectacular throughout the course of this Wimbledon. And for a guy who struggled with his physicality throughout the course of this season, and you can go through the individual record, you can look at each loss in a vacuum center, 31 and eight this season, all eight losses either coming via retirement or a loss to a top 10 player, or, or, or I suppose the loss to Tommy Paul in the warm up to this Wimbledon. But he finally looks like he has his footing on this surface and we've always known when Yannick Sinner has his feet under him forehand wing 
backhand wing. The guy can produce elite power, and I've said this before. I think there's a lot of Tomas Burdich in him in finding mm-hmm. that speed and how relentless he is with the power tennis. But then, you know, he's got the fluidity and the hips of a 19, 20-year-old, and so he's able to move in and out of the court. He's sliding a little bit on this surface now, which is just not something you'd expect. It's just a nightmare to deal with the weight of his shot on this surface. And again, if he lands the first blow, he wins the point because you're just not tracking down the second. So to answer your question, team center's feeling damn good. The return has been sick. I mean, against Isner, it it obviously stands out when you, when you win in straight sets, when you, you avoid tie breaks for the most part, right? What did they play one or zero? I think one, I I think they played the one in the second set, right? Or yeah, second set. Yeah. and, And that's it. So that means you're returning darn well. Then against Alcaraz, uh, as I, I went over in my um, analysis after the match, he absolutely bullied Carlos's first serve, and which is which is no powder puff serve. He's he's averaging 120 on the first serve. He's not always putting it in, in a great spot, but still. Uh, so I agree with that. I agree about the movement. He's so balanced. Um, and then, you know, he's the other like famous skier, childhood skiing prodigy. Him and Novak are sliding on the grass. And they're the skiers. Is that well, a coincidence? We agree. Kasparu definitely did some skiing in his day. Like, there's no way Kasparu. Are we just hang. profiling him because he's of on him Swiss being Norwegian? Sl- or do yeah, we know if this? He's on a Swiss slope. He's killing it. Like, there's no way. Double black diamond, please. Um, yeah, no. T- fully profiling. He would look so good in a Canada goose jacket. Like, just <laughs> him up, zip it all the way. He would just fit perfectly with yeah. that hair. Um, but you're absolutely right. And the thing is, Sinner has always projected as this sort of returner, right? You look for Yannick Sinner mm. was a top 15 club member, one of eight guys to rank top 15 in both uh, hold and break percentage last season. And it's usually the break percentage that has been ahead for him. You look in his career uh, at the ATP level, 26.6% break percentage. That's a top 10 number for his career. And he's 21 years old. You know, again, his ability to strike the ball cleanly, to find that clean contact point every time, it's remarkable. But then the progress on serve. Four straight years of growth in his hold percentage. He's up to 82.8% top 20 number this season. He's sort of a spot server now. Like, I, I really enjoy how he picks, whether it's the slice wide on the deuce side to set up just plus one forehand to open court. Good luck tracking that ball down. Or on the ad side now, being able to jam people into the body just so he gets a plus one opportunity. It's the little things, and it's just like it's the constant improvements. Every year, Yannick Sinner finds something to get better at. I thought last year it was the volleys. I think this year it's the spots on the serve, and he's 21. Like, we joke about it all the he's time. He's 20, actually. Oh, 20. Yeah, it's turning 21 in August. Yes, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. The, you know, again, big picture, it's like, man, quarterfinals on all three surfaces already in his career at the slams, that's special stuff. Boom. Uh, I agree. He is hitting his spots well. He's so good at improving. It's, I think, the first thing that I noticed about him and and liked about him as a prospect when he was rising up the ranks. Um, I still think Alcaraz is a, a better prospect long term, uh, and that match didn't change this. But we will we will continue. Do you- well. Well, here's the thing for uh, for Yannick Sinner because I, and I do want to ask you about the Alcaraz side of the equation, but for Yannick Sinner. How badly did he need this win? Like you look again at the resume this season, 
the goose egg he put together in that Australian Open quarterfinal against Tsitsipas. That was just a miserable performance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, again, all the big opportunities, Rome quarterfinal, straight set loss to Tsitsipas, Madrid round of 16, one and two loss to Felix, the three set loss after winning the first set against Zverev in Monte Carlo. He just didn't have a signature win. And now he has one. A hundred percent. All right. Here's the stat. Tier one players. And that would include, so I, I'm, we're talking, okay, you can look at the top 10 stat and that's one thing. I think he was seven and 17. Mm-hmm. Now let's separate your Rublevs and Rudes from your elite guys. And if you take Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Titipas, Medvedev, Alcaraz, he was two and 12, might've been two and 13. One or the other, I, I promise one of them is right. So I'm with you. Oh, and those two wins, 2020. No, I, I mean, you're exactly so sorry. Yes, he needed happen, he needed the win. Well, it's tangent time. Is he a tier one player for you? Obviously, he has been for me. Center? But yeah, when you look at the tier one guys right no. now, how many do you have? Djokovic, Nadal aside, outside of them, because they're not tier one. They're tier That's it. I, I it, it changes it, a little bit. Oh, wait, what okay. what do you mean aside? Aside Why are we putting Joe, them aside? Because they're a separate tier. Because they're okay. The, so we're talking about tier two. Well, <laughs> no, because no, they're not tier one. It's they don't they transcend tiers. It's like let's get rid of these guys. Let's look past the Djokovic Nadal, which you can't do in in this shot of this. But the everyone else tiers. Okay, I guess that's is that's bizarre calling. to me. But I'll answer your question. <laughs> Medvedev, Tsitsipas, um, Alcaraz. Although you know, again that. Yes. Okay. I'm. I'm just gonna let that yeah. let that hold. I'm not gonna defend myself. Medvedev, Tsitsipas, um, Alcaraz, and uh, and Zverev. That's it. So, so no sinner, no Felix. No. <sighs> See, that's interesting to me. I think sinner belongs in that tier. I, after I, that stat you just heard. Yeah, but after, but after now he's three and. Okay, but let me give you the records against everyone else. Like during that stretch of time, twenty-eight and two in 2022 against players ranked outside the top 20 last season, he was 39 and 14 against players ranked outside the top 20. If you're not a tier one guy, you're just not going to beat Yannick Sinner. And I think he Berrettini are like the two guys who, and it's not an anti-Italian thing, I swear, but like, they're the two guys. I just don't know what tier to go. They should go belong to, because it's like, you're not with Rublev. You're, you're a tier above him. You're probably a tier above Kasparud as well, but like I agree with you, I I can't definitively put you with those other four guys. Yeah, well, they're very similar. Like we both yeah. were very confident that they're not going to get upset, they're not going to lose matches yes. that they shouldn't lose, but but we're we're not very confident that they are going to uh, make some noise unless it changes for Sinner at this tournament. So Got to move Sinner's on. Sinner's tier one. He's the gatekeeper player. He's the one like you beat him. You're tier yeah. one. You don't. You're not- I think I think Mateo is an even better gatekeeper. Yes. Yeah. But but yes, Sinner is is uh, you know, very it small. helps to have that chest when you're the bouncer at the gate. So I agree with you. Yeah, uh, let's talk about because again it flows. Um, let's talk about the Nadal and Djokovic grass court specific gap because the last couple of years it it's felt real big, and you know this year there were there were some guys we liked coming into the tournament. Hercotch we liked, Felix we liked. Um, we liked Berrettini and we didn't get to see that play out, of course, because of COVID um, and a, a couple of others maybe as well. But I mean, based on how this tournament has played out, you know, the gap doesn't feel any smaller. It still feels like there is a divide 
Well, it just feels like the delta between Djokovic and everyone is massive. It just feels like, and you saw it last night, he looked at the clock and he said, oh, 57 minutes, start the clock. And it was just like, all right, break number one, break number two, set over, break number one, break, you know, set over. And Novak's degree of physicality on the surface is just laughable. I mean, he and Halep, I know I'm, it's apples and oranges here. No, I like just it. On, they're on a tier so far above everyone else from a physicality perspective. The depth they can generate, they can play real tennis on this court, which is just impossible to do. Now, for Nadal, it's been so fascinating. It's like he's got an expiration clock on him. He's like, all right, you get two and a half hours of really good Rafa. And like, if you can get, you know, he needs to finish the match in that two and a half hours, because as you hit 215, 220, as we saw today against Vanderson Sculp, it gets a little shaky. Things land a little bit shorter in the box. He's fallen on his tush as he's trying to track down drop shots. All these different things start to happen. And yet it's just like, Outside of Kyrgios doing what Isner did to Murray on center court in the second round, like we're destined for a Djokovic-Nadal final. Nadal is three wins away from three of the four legs to a calendar slam. He's 36 years old. He's essentially an amputee survivor on one foot. And it's just ridiculous the level of success we're seeing both of these guys have. So, yes, I do think the gap is there. That's an interesting point. Yeah, the third sets in this tournament, I think we can go back further and then there's some a lot of stuff to refute that. But yeah, the third sets have been by far his worst set. And that'll be an interesting thing to track. Who's been, has Rafa been impressive? I know that's an abstract adjective, but in your mind, has he impressed this tournament or has he survived? I'm, I don't think he's impressed. Uh, I definitely think he's, but I also don't, I, you know, if I say he survived, is that going to sound negative? Because I don't think it should, right? Yeah. Uh, my my whole thing was he hasn't played in three years. He just had the, yes. the foot ablation operation. He's not very good in the first couple rounds of Wimbledon ever. So why are we expecting him to destroy Ricardus Barankis? It's good enough to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. The one thing he's doing exceptionally is hitting the backhand cross. Like he is hitting that ball viciously. End line. Right now. Backhand yeah, looks and, great. And just that ability to attack the open space. He's just more efficient at it than anyone not named Djokovic. And so, yes, I agree. Big picture. The delta between them is just Medvedev's not in the draw, but the delta is still there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have high hopes. Long-term Medvedev at Wimbledon. I, yes. I think very highly of what he can do. I think he's a return adjustment away. Um, I mean, okay. Uh, a stat that Nadal just secured 15 straight majors quarterfinals or better. So all I want to say is like, look, did Felix get a bad draw? Yes, he did. Uh, did Hercotch get a bad draw? Yes, he did. Should that matter? If you are, if you are at the top, if you're tops, should that matter? No. Well, here's the pushback. Who was Nadal's biggest threat when the draw came out? It was Berrettini. And Berrettini was out due to COVID. And Yeah, you know, that, that, that would have been in the quarters, though. Yeah, but Chilich, RBA, same store deal. It's like those are the three of the five guys you circled before the tournament who are going to test Nadal. So I will listen to that argument for this tournament specifically because of how notable the examples are. That said, 10 years from now, if it's a Djokovic-Nadal final or even a djokovic Kyrgios final, as long as one of those two guys are competing in the final, there will be no asterisk next to this event. Like, as long as you see them, again, they're on a tier of their own. That's what matters. Yeah, there won't be no matter what. 
And, and yeah, look, maybe I'm being unfair because if Cressy played Nadal in round one, in that hypothetical world, do I think Cressy has a really good chance? I, I do, given all the circumstances. Well, if Christian Green wins this tournament, I'll put a footnote. Not an <laughs> I don't believe in that, but I'll be like, hold on. What happened? You're telling me Christian Green won? No. Uh, let's, uh, I just want to mention uh, Tim Von Reithoven because I felt bad in my coverage. I just haven't really gotten to him. So let's get to him now. Uh, especially because because you're the hipster that you are and you probably followed him when he was 16s going through Kalamazoo and winning the uh, making the quarterfinals of Orange IPF Bowl indoors junior tennis champion center Riley Opelkin beats him seven six in the third for the grade one title and there you go uh, <laughs> do you think I mean the question when something like this happens and let's let's also be clear it wasn't one tournament it was it was two he he wins her Bosch. And he has a Wimbledon run clearly has a, and it's also, you know, a big loud game with a, a massive serve and a very powerful forehand. And he slices his back in, but like, where do you think Tim von Reithoven goes from here? That's the question I want to see it, You know, it's funny. You say like, I want to see it on a faster surface, right. Or just like a surface where it's a little grittier or so, because I don't think slower surface is the right word because in theory, you see how he tees up on the ball and you think you're going to give this guy more time to get into his ground strokes, to swing freely from the baseline. Isn't he going to just dictate freely at the same time? It started with the serve. I mean, Van Reithoven mm. was just lights out and this surface amplifies that serve more than anything. And when you're holding you know, 90% of the time over the course of two and a half weeks, yeah, you can close your eyes and swing freely on the return of serve. He had that luxury throughout the course of this run. And, you know, now career, he's eight and one in ATP tour level matches. You know, they've all come on grass courts, right? He might've played one Delray beach main draw back in the day, but like, that's it. And, you know, you look for him, uh, no challenger titles going into that run in the Netherlands as well. Now he's all the way up to number 104 in the world, obviously on the short list of players, most pissed at the fact that there are no points being offered. It's a little vomit zony going into the summer. Cause it's like, can he go play Los Cabos? Can he play the John Isner open in Atlanta? Can he play Newport, which he better be in the draw for already. If he hasn't signed up like, yeah, he can play those, but am I certain he's going to get through Cincinnati or master Rogers cup, whatever it's called now, bank to Canada uh, qualifying. Like, no, I'm not sure. Me either. Yeah, it's one speed. It's like one really good speed, but it's one speed. Right. And, and we know there's a couple factors here. Yes, the, the leniency on the serve is a big one, uh, but especially like the backhand. We see if, you, if you're just going to slice your backhand, you get away with that so much better on grass. With that being said, again, big guy, strong, you know, strong guy with a, a massive game, a good backhand slice I could definitely see him being someone who year after year after year for a long time nobody wants to play on grass uh, would it be selling him short to predict like here's another Yuri Vesely is that selling him short or is that pretty good oh you you hit the soft spot you know that's a player um it's tough because you talk about him being a big guy how tall do you think Van Reithoven is well no he's heavy yeah, he's no, like a, it's exactly. He's thick. But, he, right. He's, yeah, he's, he's what? Six, three. 
Yeah, he's six two, which is like, oh. how are you six two? That's <laughs> what I have. Like, you are the the tallest six two. I'm six two. Like, you are taller than me. I I, I can't do that on the serve. Um, I want to see him hit a backhand at shoulder height. Like, that's the one thing at the on this surface that I do think was helpful. Is the ball was staying low, and for that one handed backhand, it it just seems like it was in the strike zone for him every time and I would like to see on a on a clay court on a again a, a grittier hard court when that ball gets at his shoulder height can he still swing through it uh through it as easily you know again you there's like five players in the top 100 when you have a daily show you got to fill segments folks we looked at the 200 pound club just players who weigh over 200 pounds there's <laughs> Love like it. five and, and no body shaming but just out of curiosity there's like five of them in the top 100 right I think Berrettini with those chicken legs is still like 192 or like something like, like he's not even listed over 200 pounds. And it's just like, you're right. He's a thick guy. And these were all short, quick points plus one move forward. What happens when that goes from a 90% play or 92% play to an 84% play? You know, when you lose that extra 8%, how does he make up for it in his return game? I don't know. Yeah. Or when the average rally length goes up two balls. Yes. How are you dealing with that? Uh, by the way, I really liked that nugget. Yeah. If I posted it on Twitter, can Twitter handle that? <laughs> right. Is what I'm trying to ask you. Right. Because obviously Twitter is a God forsaken platform. Would Twitter get mad that you're talking about players weights, which by the way, for the record, if you want to know where I stand on this, uh, this is sports weight yeah. matters. Absolutely. It, and it's again, it's transformational and it's the way that you carry that frame. Like Yuri Vesely is a different 200 pound frame than Matteo Berrettini and mm-hmm. Berrettini is a different 200 pound frame than Van Reithoven. I think like, how is Alex Zverev not 200 pounds? The guy's six foot six and jacked. Like you think just he's by not pro- jacked. He's like, extraordinarily cut, extraordinarily cut. I'm not. Yeah. Again, yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not right. Very lean body. Yeah, exactly totally lean muscle and there's enough yes. of it. like yes you just figure by process of well i see a bicep that's 10 pounds there 10 pounds there you have six foot six legs like and he's not 200 pounds i just think in particular with the wear and tear throughout the course of the season you just can't be that heavy throughout the course of the year because it's match after match after match and to do that to your knees like it's not the it's not the early two thousands anymore. Carlos Moya is not walking through that door. Like all the young Feliciano Lopez isn't walking through that door. Uh, you just got to be a little bit more fluid at this stage. Yeah, the serve volleyers when it was less baseline yeah, exactly. play, they they were bigger. Like they were. Philippusis was a unit. Like, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, yeah. like bills and change. Absolutely. Uh, okay, that was that was good. That was uh, that was interesting. And by the way, I'll, I'll add um, while we're on the injury. Uh, durability topic TVR has had some, some injuries, but I believe it was a wrist most notably. So that probably wouldn't be down to his weight, but I'll throw it out there. Mm-hmm. There's a little Soderling to him too, where it's just like swing, swing. And I kind of <laughs> like it. Yeah. It's been, it was very fun to watch and okay. Yeah. Let me wrap it up with this. The run that he just had life-changing financially. Mm-hmm. So while, while we analyze what the future looks like, uh, that is not really the the headline. The headline is what he's done um, because because he's definitely changed his life. Even entering, being able to enter in the tournaments that he's going to be able to enter in now is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, before we get into these quarterfinal previews, let's talk Curios, which by the way I did have as my lead topic. Okay, 
That's okay, good. So that's, I'm very 40. David Kane and I did 45 minutes on curious. I was ashamed. Fake and and that's curious. exactly. And that's what I'm trying to avoid here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to try to not do that, but let's talk. Uh, let's talk heroes first and let's talk generally. Okay. We're not going to break down the Christian Korean matchup. We'll, we'll save that for when we go through the quarterfinals. Nick has never made a major semifinal. I'm asking you, what is the main reason for that? And is right now different. So you throw that stat at me. Here's what I would turn at you. He has made the fourth round or further at four of the eight Wimbledons he's played. Now, we didn't get to see the 2020 Wimbledon because it got canceled. And last season, certainly you look for him after playing the marathon match against Ugo Umbert. He was not physically prepared for the rest of that tournament. He has been very good at Wimbledon throughout the course of his career. And it makes sense with his serve, his ability to move forward, the steadiness of that backhand return. What's different is that it's all clicking for Kyrgios right now. Is that physically he's as fit as he has been probably since he was 18 years old or 19 years old in that 2014, you know, run to the quarters where uh, coming into a major. I mean, the guy played three consecutive weeks, and I know he withdrew that third week of action, but he played three consecutive tournaments, got four matches in each of the first two events. You know, we talk about Kyrgios being unsure about how fit he is going to an event. There was nothing more he could do to prove that he was fit than he than he did coming into this Wimbledon. So I think that's ingredient number one of what's different for him this season. Ingredient number – and by the way, he looks 10 pounds lighter. Like he just looks thinner out on court ingredient number two is despite the non-tennis centric activities that sometimes he transpire during a curious match that's the political way of saying he blows up from time to time um despite that fact basilish Vili first week of the grass court season loses the first set seven six breaks in the very first game of the second set wins the match in three the next week round of 16 against Tsitsipas loses the first set breaks very first game of the second set wins the matches in three loses the first set against Tsitsipas loses the first set against Paul Jubb you know at loses it to Nakashima and is grabbing the shoulder and all tennis Twitter is saying is up oh, there's classic Kyrgios and it's like not really like he has gotten through in each of these moments and there is no tangible change in his on-court behavior, and yet clearly something has changed. And so that would be my second piece of the ingredient is that actually, like, he, he may distract with his actions on court, but they don't distract him from the performance on hand. Agree on both counts. You know, to me, my, the way I've been putting that second part is he wants really badly to win. Yeah. All, all year long. Now it's the same, you know, mental volatility. He's still looking for excuses, constantly yelling at his box, yelling at officials. Uh, he's still that guy. But I think the difference is he used to be a guy who uh, actually wasn't all that invested and interested in winning the tennis match and showing off his skills. And despite him. Um, and, oh, and by the way, the reflection of that was a lack of effort. So a equals B. He wasn't that invested in winning and he wouldn't try very hard that even when he is blowing up, he is still trying like the effort is there. And I, I think that's the, the biggest difference. And then, you know, the fitness thing, I would actually push back a little bit on the fitness part of it. The grass tennis 
is just not very physical, especially when, you know, with the way he is playing it. And we're about to see how the body holds up, but you know, yes, like it's, it's nice that he, it, it's great for him that, that he still won the match today. Uh, but he was grabbing his, his shoulder. It was affecting him. It, it was difficult for him. So yeah, I mean, coming off a, a four setter against Titi Pass, um, and, and this was against Brandon Nakashima today when he won in five, I'm not going to like give him a check plus on durability after that. And that's my main question mark moving forward. But it's a check. Like he has a check now. You're right. It's not a check plus like at, at best it's a B or a B plus, but B or B plus is so much better than the D minus he was rolling into most of these slams with. And just again, not since when did he have the Asia run 2018? Maybe I want to say it was at the end of that season where he was just locked in at the end of the year. And he put together that run of success where I think he won a title and made another deep run at one of the masters events. And just like, I just don't think he's been as fit since then. And I know the numbers are a bit misleading because he didn't play a clay court season. Right. And if you, if you refuse to do the things you're bad at, your stats are just going to look better because you're only doing the things <laughs> you're good at. Like, again, all of us do that in our life in some sort of fashion, but the numbers are ridiculous. Like he's holding 93.6% of the time. That's better than a prime isner. He's number one right now amongst top 50 players on the ATP tour. And, you know, he's winning 56.8% of his second serve points, which I believe right now, according to tennis abstract, that number uh, ranks uh, third, I believe right now behind Opelka. Let's see overall pulling this up. I yeah. Third behind Opelka and Kesmanovic. Shout out to you, Mia Mir. But the key is he's doing that while not bublicking right? Like his double fault percentage isn't 10%. It's 3.5%, which is about the average of top 50 players. It's how controlled he is on both serves. I mean, how many times against Tsitsipas was it love 40 down? And it was just big serve, big serve, serve plus a half volley inside in forehand. Now it's at in curious. And it's just that success, uh, the ability to do that on the surfaces that he's playing on, it's just going to work. And, like, there's a reason when you look at Kyrgios's record this season, again, career-high win percentage for him now, 20-6 and six overall, 27 years old. You know, we talked about the body size. Let's talk age now. That's what everyone likes. Age and weight. Let's get into it. Um, 27 years old should be your prime. And I think this is prime Kyrgios. Yeah, a lot of good points there. I, the second serve, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it is so phenomenal. And yeah. Bublik is a great example of a guy where if if he's going to go a game where he's not going to make a first serve, you, you do feel pretty good. And and with Nick, um, that's not necessarily the case. And uh, that was that was a big deal in the Tsitsipas match. So I've uh, I've never felt better about him. I don't think coming into a slam, at least in a very long time, uh, you know, I, I made him a a dark horse again. I think as I did uh, heading into Indian Wells, I did the same thing just because I think it's been pretty obvious that he's a better version of himself than what we've seen in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Now, Can I, yeah, I was going to say, perfect. Yes. Sorry. You're the host again. It's been a while. It's been I, I a know. long wedding. I'm still a little tipsy two days later. There's just a lot of free shots. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. It's um, never good when they're like, you need to go sing on stage, Alex. I'm like, no, 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 please. And they're like, no, get up there. And you're like, am I that drunk? Um, yeah. But anyways, carry on. Right. And this is a prime example, right? Because nobody knows what you're talking about. And yeah. it's fantastic. <laughs> um, we got to talk. And I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, 
approach this topic after the Pass match. So um, I'll do it with you. And it's also better with someone else. Language coming here. Warning, if you're with your kid, fast forward. Can Nick Kyrgios be an asshole and also still be good for the sport? I, I think he can. Like, I feel like we have two separate sects here. We have people saying that he's an, an asshole and that's bad. And then we have some people saying, uh, no, he's actually, he's, this is all great. Everything's fine and he's good. And I think it's neither. I think both of those things can be true. No? No, I think you need heroes and villains in every narrative to just add excitement, add reasons to be engaged. And for some reason, yes, Nick Kyrgios is the perennial villain in the narrative told so frequently. And I despise commentator criticism because go commentate a match and then tell me, oh, like I could do it so easily. Like, no, you'll find out once you hit that third hour, you're like, I got nothing <laughs> left, folks. We're, we're making it up from here. I did not like how, again, it's the pot calling the kettle black, right? When John McEnroe is up there and John McEnroe, who's so perfectly suited to explain exactly what Nick Kyrgios is feeling on court. And instead it turns into, this is Wimbledon and the decorum here. We don't act like this on this stage. And that's the silliest thing in the world. And full circle moment here. Why am I a bit hungover? I was at a wedding this past weekend. That wedding, we were supposed to shoot photos. It got delayed as such. Everyone was sitting in the lobby watching Nick Kyrgios, Stefano Tsitsipas. Everyone in that photo shoot locked in on the match as we were waiting. Simply put, you know, I'm getting texts from my non-tennis friends saying, who is this guy? This is amazing or this is awful, but it's a train wreck and I need to see it. How can it not be a good thing for tennis when it transcends tennis Twitter and breaks through on, on the mainstream conscious, you know, the same way they're today on ESPN showing a graphic, Joey Chestnut, Rafael Nadal, 14 time champions in their respective competitions. That's a good thing for the sport. I think discussion of the sport is always good. Now to your point, he's an asshole. Like you can acknowledge something is, you know, again, all press is good press, right? Is how the, the saying goes it's there's a fine line there is a fine line and i you know we're i'm 26 years old you're in your mid-20s we don't really care about cussing like you know he chews out a chair umpire every time i don't love the abuse ever i'm not condoning it i'm not excusing it but the man is an unequivocal entertainer and uh, you know every artist as we've learned in this modern era has different shades to them curios is no exception to that rule but to say it's not good for the sport I think is just you're you're being a fool. You're it's a foolish thought. Right. I mean, by what metric is it not yeah. good for the sport? Now, I mean, and, and I can I can second your experience because I mean I had two people text me about the match. I was stunned to get a text about tennis from these guys. These two these two guys who texted me. Stunned. Uh you have Bill Simmons, who for for those who don't know, has the second most popular sports podcast at least in the United States. Uh, I don't know what the world rankings look like. He's a basketball guy, primarily. Second most popular sports podcast. He's tweeting about about Nick Kyrgios. That was weird to see. Yeah. Okay? Absolutely. So, yeah, the guy guy does uh, bring new eyes to the sport, which is honestly, I mean, everyone's trying to figure out how to do that. Everyone. Every tournament, every broadcast partner, that is the goal. You know, certainly – I would love if, if I could do right. Everyone wants to do that. Yeah. In terms of like, if I could change it, um, if I could change Nick, 
you know, I wish that we got the on-court swagger, um, the attitude, the, um, the honesty towards, you know, other players and competitors and, uh, the, some of the unique things, uh, j- just, just don't, just don't abuse the other humans on the court. You know, I, I just wish I could cut that out and, and then I would be much more supportive of, of everything that, that he brings to the table. But unfortunately he is, uh, wrong all the time, uh, incredibly hypocritical all the time. Uh, really just un, unable to take responsibility for, for any of his own actions, for any of his own mistakes. And the, the fact that he's constantly chewing out officials for no good reason and not treating them like dignified humans, it just, I, I wish he didn't do that. And I can't support it. I got to call it like it is. Yeah. It's him being an asshole. It's fair. No, nothing to push back. He plays with his emotions. He is an emotional human being. He has talked about that openly. And unfortunately, as as wonderful as it is to see his passion thrive on the court when he's clicking, he's getting the crowd going again today against Nakashima was a fantastic example at the end of the set when he wins the match. Apologies for the cussing a big let's fucking go to the box. You could see the court, you know, all of center court was getting amped and getting excited and watching the McEnroe's pivot from the Tsitsipas match to today's match of we might get Kyrgios Nadal, another blockbuster between those two all time pivot, all time pivot from the, from the Mac attacks. You're right. That's the thing. That's the thing, right? I mean, if Kyrgios plays Nadal in the semis, if Kyrgios plays Djokovic in the final, let's say that happened. We've, and we've never seen that happen. Uh, Anything like that with Nick at the end of a major, I feel like it will be kind of a, it will be transcended. It will well, enter the mainstream, the, right? So what's better for the sport? And your host, three, a tennis show. All of yeah. you listeners definitely watch that. I'm sure if you haven't, you'll talk about it. But better for the better for the sport. Kyrgios Djokovic or Nadal Djokovic in the final? Uh, I lean Nadal Djokovic because I, I know I know what the result of that is. I mean, I, look, I could be wrong. Like, I, I'd have to experience the whole Kyrgios thing before I understand what it would be. Uh, but but my sense is Nadal Djokovic is still bigger, is still better for the sport. It, I, agree, I don't I don't think it's a, it's a it, stupid question. Exactly, exactly. That's it. It's like, and we talked about the delta between Djokovic, Nadal, and the rest of the field in terms of potential finals. Djokovic, Nadal, Djokovic, Kyrgios, anything else? Agreed. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if we if we get that semifinal. A, a perfect uh, segue into the quarterfinal previews. We're going to run through these. Um, I don't want to dissect each one for, for 10 minutes, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Djokovic center will begin on the top of the draw. The head to head is one zero. I remember their, their first meeting. It was incredibly underwhelming. They played in Monte Carlo Djokovic won six, four, six, two, and then lost to Dan Evans immediately afterwards. Um, I think this was, this was last year in 2021. I'm fascinated though. Like, the Yannick that we saw against Alcaraz, I think it's the best I've ever seen him play. If he brings that, this is going to be great. That, that's I, my question. Is, is he going to bring that again? Like, is that who Sinner is right now or not really? Well, he hasn't been broken in two matches, which is a good place to start. And he ha- you have to serve well. You have to give yourself a position to win free points. And look, the first set is critical. 
for Yannick Sinner, obviously, just to build himself some sort of runway to play around with in the match because of the physicality Djokovic can bring on, on this surface and what he's now won 21 plus fours, 25 consecutive matches at Wimbledon, whatever the number is. And, you know, uh, again, it's just, yes, he dropped the set to Van Reithoven, but Van Reithoven had to serve out of this world in the second set just to win a set against Novak and going back to last year's Wimbledon, what he lost that first set against Jack Draper, lost a set in the final to Berrettini. Uh, sure. He lost a second set to Sun Wukwan, but I'm throwing that one out like that. Van Reithoven loss of set felt much more real than that second yep. set lost to Kwan in round one. It takes that sort of service performance, a Draper, a Berrettini, a Van Reithoven to even get a set against Novak on this surface. And so does, does Sinner have that in him? I don't know, but certainly the return games are like, he's the best returner probably Novak's faced in the past two years on this surface. And so he certainly has some weapons from the ground, but like, I, I what's a win in this? Does, does Yannick Sinner have to get a set in this match for it to be considered successful for him? Yeah, absolutely. I think he should expect that of himself. Yeah. Uh, now, just as an aside, like, you wouldn't be selling me on this being a good match if you if you're really thinking he needs a lot of help from his serve. I actually yeah. don't think that's coming. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's enough on it. And I think Novak's going to gonna return that serve um, that's, pretty well, comfortably. But, but he has served pretty – like, again, we uh, talked about this earlier. He, it's I in know. him. Like, I, I know. Ha- but, yeah, you're right. Like, so what's the, it, what does a center win look like? Well, here's what intrigues me about this matchup. I want to see them go backhand to backhand, first of all. Djokovic loves to set up patterns out of that cross court. And he he's taken himself against almost everyone. He's if I'm going to go backhand and backhand, I'm going to win this exchange, whether you miss first, whether I pull one down the line and do damage that way, or whether I, I get the short ball because my, my trading is, is a higher quality than you. And then I can use my forehand, but whatever it is, he loves that pattern. And I, I do think if, if we're going to, hit backhands, Yannick should be able to do it with Novak. And you look at guys who have played Djokovic well, Medvedev, RBA uh, are a couple of them. Like these are guys who are, oh, you want to hit cross-court backhands? I'm down. I can do that. So Sinner's definitely one of those guys. And that's why I think, you know, from the back of the court, I'm just really excited to see these guys rally. Yeah, Sinner has weapons too. Like that's the difference is... You know, Kokonakis could do it at times, but Van Reithoven was swinging so freely uh, from the baseline, right? It felt like he had to go 100% at all times just to earn himself any opportunity against Novak. You know, Sinner doesn't have to do that, to your point. The rally ball for Sinner will be able to keep pace, will be able to create himself some opportunities. I'm telling you, dealing with a Yannick Sinner drilled return at your feet, it's Novak-esque in its effectiveness right now. And so, like, he'll have some opportunities. You're right, outside of the service games that it won't always have to be a free point. Yeah, I think Djokovic separates himself potentially in the consistency where, like, his forehand's just more reliable and potentially in in some of the variety that that Novak brings, the the drop shots, the slice, um, more... I was going to say, there's also the intangible. You mentioned Bill Simmons. Like, isn't there some incredible right now, nobody believes in us, and apologies for the cursing, fuck you attitude right now for Novak Djokovic, where it's just like, hold on. One year ago today, I had just won my 20th major. 
I was gearing up for my first Olympic gold medal, and I was the unequivocal leader in the GOAT conversation. And now Rafa is three matches away from a three out of four legs of the Golden Slam. Like, I also think the the reason why this match is so exciting is I think this is the one where we could see Djokovic turn up the gas and be like, no, 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 no. It's time for me to kill everyone the rest of the way. Yeah, this is his first opportunity to make a statement, yes, right? Exactly. Because, I mean, if he, let's say he did beat Von Reitoven in three sets, it would kind of be like, okay, great. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I agree with that. Look, I think there's a lot of pressure on him. I don't think he's going to feel it here in the quarterfinal. I, but I think at the end of the tournament, he's going to feel a lot of pressure to win it. Um, all right, my pick is uh, Novak in four. I mean, Sinner's my guy. So I'll take him to get a set as well. But uh, no, I don't. I think this is a statement match. I think Novak wins 5-5. Right. Five, five. I think it's like 5-5-5 five, five and 5 or 5-2-5. Five, and, and Yannick plays it close. But I think Novak turns it up. Okay. I, I hope we get... Um... I hope we get the Yannick Sinner of the previous round against Alcaraz, and it'll be really good. Uh, Gafan and Nori. This is um... well. Here's my question: Is what happened Cam... here? Yeah, is Cam Nori the new David Gofan? Like from a benchmark, like gateway test into the top ten. Like if you're not beating Cam Nori, you're not in the top ten. Cam Nori as physical a mortal tennis player, Novak Djokovic, immortal. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Nori just tests you in every imaginable way. There is no discernible weakness in the game of Cam Nori. That was the story on David Goffin throughout the course of his prime. And, like, Goffin might be the oldest, what, 31-year-old or however old he is right now. Yeah, 31 turns 32 in December, seemingly on tour. But, like... That's, I feel like when Nori's done with his prime, he'll hope to be like, yeah, I was the David Gofan of my generation. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be phenomenal for Nori. I think I'm trying to take the styles out of it um, yeah. and just think about the levels because that's what you're, that's what you're saying right now, right? Yes. Um, no, I think Gofan also is a lefty who hits heavy cross. I've never seen him play before. <laughs> What's the deal? Yeah, no. He's a journeyman, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and and yeah, I think, I think Gofan... Kafan's career is kind of like a great goal for Nori. Like that, yeah. that would be a success. Hover um, in the top 10. Yeah. Like Cause I don't, years. I don't, I couldn't see him being a Ferrer. Like, I think exactly. that's a step too far. Yeah. Um, well said. Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of the head to head, just like throw this out there. Kafan uh, uh, retired in their only meeting. So you really don't get any, any sample size there. Um, I, like the fan in this match who is the betting underdog. Um, and I, I still like him. He is uh four and one since Marrakesh against lefties with his only loss coming against Nadal. He is 50 in 31 at tour level against lefties. That includes the two and five losing record against Nadal. I, I just love his backhand. Uh, when he's going up against lefties, I just think, and especially Norris, which can get a little bit spinny. I know he's working on it. Um, I really like a fan to handle that cross court uh, really well. Um, and I think he has, he's a little bit more gifted offensively and I'm looking at the surface and I'm going to have a kind of a bias towards damage and finishing and I just think Gafan has a little bit more of that offense in him. It com- comes a little more naturally to him. So uh, that's why I like him to, to move on and make the semis here out of nowhere. 
You mentioned the lefty stats. Worth noting, he's 5-8 and eight against lefties at the ATP Tour level since 2020. And I think a big byproduct of that, a lot of those losses coming throughout 2021. But he's won like four out of his last five. No, okay, you know, he wasn't you, healthy. You're exactly he was just right. bad, like, bad at tennis. Yeah, and so you have to throw those ones out because you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's not like you're not wrong. I No, no big pushback from you here. Um, <laughs> good analysis. Um, yeah, he just like, he can hit the backhand now. Um, you know, he's... He's just fluid again in the outer thirds of the court. And, you know, again, David Goffin, talk about a player who just, it seems so natural on the surface, how he glides across the court. Yeah, how he changes directions again. You know, they may, he may never win a Wimbledon title. They'll still offer him a long-term membership. They're like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, just come on in. Like, don't worry about it. Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, here's the thing though. Like, who has the biggest weapon on the court? What is the one thing each of these players does distinguishly, you know, definitively, excuse me, better than the other. I don't know if I have a firm answer for either of those questions. And I'm not even going to look at the percentages because, again, Gofan is just a different player right now when healthy on this surface. But, like, Gofan will be able to handle the Nori back, uh, Nori forehand, but Nori's not a guy who overwhelms you. Nori's a guy who just wants to open up space, who's going to slowly mm-hmm. you know, spread the court and have you pushed all the way outside the alley on the ad side before he sneaks the forehand up the line. That backhand just going to be deep, well-placed, going to neutralize the shot. Just gonna be or or short and angled. Exactly. He just a guy who does – a jack-of-all-trades, again, can do a little bit of everything. If if you're talking about betting on this match, it's the over in terms of the games. I just think this one gets physical. I don't think there's a definitive advantage for either player. I'll take Nori just because it's fun to disagree on a couple of picks here simply because I just think physically, like, it, this is his – this is just it's, – it's a perfect strike zone. Sure. He's got the British crowd. There's a little – you know, they didn't – they were like, should we get excited about this guy? Like, I'm not really sure. Now it's like, whoa, wait. He's in the quarterfinals. I think this is the first match where they'll get going. Now, that can work as a positive and a negative because it can add to the nerves. But I'm going to mm-hmm. take the glass half full and say it's the Wimbledon crowd that gets Nori over the finish line in the fifth. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. I mean, I think it's a really tough match to call. I'll be clear. And I'm I'm curious to see how Nori deals with the pressure because I do think it's going to be like, okay, like time to be on the back page of the, the Telegraph or whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> and we here in Parliament in both the House of Commons, House of Lords, would like to honor Cameron Norrie with knighthood as he reached the quarterfinals. Him and Murray, the only two since Henman in 04. Shout out to Jose Morgado for that stat. Um, yeah, we'll put it in the record books. Um, yeah, I mean, again, when was the last time they had a Brit in the quarterfinals? Like, I love when the Wimbledon crowd gets after, and I think they'll get after it. I agree. I thought about the physicality aspect also, and I wanted to say like, oh, Nori, best physicality there is. Like, yeah. that's, a, that's a huge advantage. But then I'm like, mm, Gafan doesn't get tired. Yeah. <laughs> he may have never sweat in his life. It's very possible. The only guy who, yeah, the shirt just stays dry. Um, yeah. I won a five-setter. Both of them won five-setters. Yeah, that's the, the thing. It's, a, it's like, and neither comes in like definitively better rested. And yeah. so it's just a, you know, again, leave it out on the court. I'll take Nori simply because I just think he can do more things right now. Yes. Uh, Green Curios now. Um, this is probably the, I mean, it's, you know, it's the least interesting of the quarterfinals. I mean, let's, we can talk about Green a little bit, but do you give him much of a chance here? 
only because he's so comfortable hitting the slider out wide on the deuce side. And I think I saw you tweeting about this or someone tweeting about this. I'm going to assume it was you because I only like to give credit to you um, about serving to the Kyrgios forehand versus the backhand. And like anyone who's serving to the Kyrgios backhand, you just haven't been. That's a litmus test of, okay, you didn't watch the film because the Kyrgios backhand return is going in. Like he's going to get that ball deep you know, center third of the court, or if you leave one short, he can turn into it inside in down the line on the ad side. The forehand's the one with more moving parts, more extension, more wacky things. And I think the ball Christian Green hits, the slice serve in particular, jamming Kyrgios on the body, like it's a different sort of serve than the ones Kyrgios has seen thus far. You know, Tsitsipas is very much serve big to the backhand, set up the plus one forehand. That's his bread and butter play. That's not really the case for Green but like it, yeah. It's how healthy is Nick's shoulder? If his shoulder is at eighty-five percent, he's gonna win this match. If his shoulder is at fifty-five percent, he can probably still win this match. I mean, he's losing first sets and still winning. So, like, yeah. What again? There's nothing on this surface that Christian Green does better than Nick Kyrgios, except for maybe hit the drop shot. Maybe. But yeah, like, I mean, he's still know. look. He's still. He's still so fast and physical, but, but yeah, if any surface, if that's not going to pay dividends on any surface, it is, it is this one where, where Nick, Nick's got so much firepower, like it's going to be hard for Green to make this physical. I think Demon or, and let's give that match a little bit of love. It was awesome. Um, And Green's win over, over Alex. And I didn't see that one coming either. That one became this like physical baseline war. And I thought that was kind of Demon Noor's downfall. Now he could have still won. It was a close match, but uh, Demon just gave him too much rhythm and stayed back too much. And he got sucked in to, to this slug fest from the back of the court. You, you just, and Garin felt great. He was like, is this clay or grass? Yeah. And there's just no way Nick is going to do the opposite. It's going to be like, he's going to get a drop shot before he gets two regular backhands in a row. He, you know what I mean? Yeah, is first of all, is Demon Hour top five watch on tour? Uh no, nah, I think he's top I think he's borderline uh I, I think, think he's top ten. I guess the combination of him and a good player is automatically a top five watch because just the physicality he brings. And it's like, well, he's going to push this player and absorb the pace and just again Green kind of mothballed him. It's like, no, 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 I'm gonna do that right back to you. But yeah, it's just all the rhythm Green had today, you don't get that against Nick Kyrgios. And I was speaking with a former top 100 player yesterday uh, about playing Nick Kyrgios and what that experience is like. And he's like, it's just miserable because not only is there all the other stuff going on, but then you get to the baseline and you're like, we've what played one 10-shot rally in this match. Like, I haven't hit two backhands consecutively in 17 points. Um, this is no fun. And it's just really tough to deal with. And I think for Christian Green, quarterfinals, heck of a run. Now, here's the difference. Nick Kyrgios is now playing as a front runner, And, like, you know, he was favored today. But we weren't ready to have the semifinal conversation after, you know, he loses the first set, whatever. Now everyone's looking for him, Nadal, in the semifinals, expecting that of him. Is this where you lose a first set? Maybe things do slip away from you for the first time in four months. It's happened too many times to deny that possibility. I think this match has to be like I'm. Can, if 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 Garin wins the first set, can Kyrgios manufacture another comeback? I think he can from a tennis perspective. I mean, I I like that point against the pressure uh, yeah. about the pressure. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, would would it be the craziest thing in the world if 
Nick loses his mind and says, my shoulder hurts. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, yeah. Yeah. And, and just be like, yeah, exactly. I'm good. Or like, I mean, just like, is he going to mutter like he's a dirt bowler? Um, that was a bad curious impersonation. I apologize. But like, <laughs> are we going to see some, some sort of, some sort of flare up, right? Where he's just like, how is this guy in the fourth round or in the quarterfinals? And he loses his head a little bit. Like that, Kyrgios' biggest enemy in this match is himself, unequivocally. No question yeah. about it. I mean, I'm leaning Nick in three. Yeah, more more okay. out of desire than anything else, but I think he does win in straights. Yeah, Nick in three for me as well. And by the way, I know we didn't say sets, but I, I'll i take a fan in five. Yeah, I'll go Nori in. You know what? I'm going to go Nori in a tight four. Tight four. Well, you know, my, my viewers know this. My uh, number of sets don't reflect how many sets I think it's going to be. It's a, it's my confidence. I think yeah. it's, it's just a better way to do it in my opinion, you know? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Well, um, lastly, Fritz Nadal, Indian Wells final rematch. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for this. I, I think it's pretty similar to Djokovic center. Like I think you have Fritz and center. I, uh, the play style I think is the same and I see them as pretty similar players with, you know, center moving better and Fritz serving better. I think that's kind of the, the difference. Uh, but you know, Taylor Fritz, I think he's a good matchup for Nadal. I think he's a really good player. He's ninth in the race. He's missed two masters. One thousands. And he's not going to be fearful of center court Wimbledon against Nadal. He's he's, I think he's past that um, in, in his career where I think he actually has a, a level of confidence in himself where, uh, he's going to, he's going to bring his best stuff. So I'm pumped for this one. I think it could be really good. Yeah. I think that's a really good comparison. I think, and I alluded to this earlier, Fritz and Burdich, two guys who very robotic, you know, as well, see ball, hit ball, big from the baseline and here, uh, excuse me, Fritz does have the sort of serve where he will be able to win some free points. He will be able to set up plus one opportunities for himself. I think Nadal's, I don't want to say Achilles heel because he's looked fine in his first few matches, but the return is landing a little short in the court. And if you've watched Taylor Fritz at all over the past two weeks, and by the way, he did win that Eastbourne title coming into this tournament. It is week three for Taylor consecutively playing physical tennis. That is something to keep in the back of your mind, certainly. But when I watch Fritz play, He's gotten off to such strong starts over the past two weeks. He is coming out electric, and you have to do that against a Rafael Nadal. Of course, Wimbledon was a place it all started for Taylor Fritz. A little junior story here. I believe it was 2013 or 14 junior Wimbledon. Fritz, as a 16-year-old, makes a surprise run. It was 2014 to the semifinals, was unseated, unheralded at the time. Of course, the next year, I believe, he gets back to those junior semifinals and of course makes junior Roland Garros final wins the junior US Open. I mean his surf uh, his game has always projected so well to this surface and you know again he has weapons to make life difficult for Rafael Nadal. He has the sort of backhand, the sort of requisite size as we saw in Indian Wells where the topspin forehand of Nadal particularly on this surface it's not going to overwhelm him. If it gets to shoulder height or higher, he is going to be able to change directions and keep Rafa honest. You know, that said, and I don't think it's ever talked about enough, but Rafa is an incredible volleyer. And I think that volley on this <laughs> surface, no, I mean, look, Rafa's played well. He's, he's doing enough right now. And physically that's been the thing is he has been able 
to stand the test of time. He's also come out to such electric starts throughout the course of this Wimbledon. I mean, you know, again, is for this has been the perennial question for Taylor Fritz. It's never been about his tennis. It's always been about, is he athletic enough? Is he fit enough? Is he moving well enough to hang with the best of the best in tennis? Because his ground strokes are as good as anyone out there. I mean, again, I just, Rafa hasn't, this is another opportunity for him. All right, now I get a serious test. It's time for a statement victory. I like, I don't know. Fritz is serving really well. <laughs> okay. Well, we went back and forth yeah, a couple of times. Let me tell you where, where I think, uh, or what I think. Yeah. I see this just like the center matchup where Fritz can bang with Nadal. Like I, I think they can go toe to toe in that kind of area, but Nadal is going to f- defend better as you alluded to with the athleticism. I think Nadal is going to use a lot of slice. He's going to mix it up more. There's going to be more variety. He's going to volley better. His transition game is going to be there. Like, I just think we are going to see both Djokovic and Nadal showcase what variety can do against two power baseliners who hit forehands and backhands just as well as Nadal and Djokovic, believe it or not, because that is what they do. Uh, But they just don't do enough other stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think Nadal is um, has the quality in, in his returning to make life frustrating for for Taylor Fritz. So I'll be interested to see that. Interested to see that. Uh, but the most interesting thing when it comes to grass and Fritz is like Taylor is an amazing high ball hitter, and that's why he loves Indian Wells so much. Besides for the fact that it's in his uh, somewhat backyard, two hour drive, but still. Um, Nadal needs to get the ball low. And I, I bet we're going to see that. I bet we're going to see him do that. Uh, we're going to see him bring him in. We're going to see the short slices. We're going to see the backhand hit, you know, flat, short cross court. Like he's going to be able to, to do those things. And uh, ultimately, yeah, I think, I think variety is uh, the deciding factor here, but I do think it'll be a good match. Where I would slightly push back in the argument for Fritz, I actually think as important as it is moving forward, volleying that skill set on this surface, I actually think bad volleyers are rewarded on this surface more than any other because a bad volley is still an effective shot on a grass court. And Taylor Fritz, to his credit, no one will ever confuse him as a good volleyer. No one's going to say, is that Bob Bryno? No, it's just Taylor Fritz out there hitting volleys. Like no one's ever going to say that. But, you know, he has become a competent he has become much more competent moving forward, identifying, hey, I hit a great approach shot. I should move in behind this ball and try to hit a volley winner. Now, he has never been excellent. He's at trying. That volley. Exactly. And trying at times is enough on this surface where just making the volley because it's so hard to produce on the run magic. Like if Taylor is willing to move forward, put himself in that position, he will have opportunities because again, Rafa is leaving some balls short and like, I, I think he'll, I think this, like if what's the biggest weapon on the court right now, it's obviously Rafa's mind, but what's the second biggest weapon on the court? It's unequivocally Taylor's serve. And like, it always helps to go into the gunfight with the biggest gun. And so I think for certain Taylor extends this match to four sets. I actually think this one goes the distance. I think Fritz has just always been a big match player. I think he thrives in this moment. I'm going to have Rafa surviving, but that's what I think it's going to take is a survival from Rafa because Fritz is playing that well. 
Rafa needs to leave his comfort zone in this match is yes. the thing. Like, I think if we're looking at, let's say the, the cross court rally on the ad side, uh, Nadal needs to hit the drop shot down the line. He needs to change with the forehand down the line. He can't uh, rally passively to Fritz's backhand or he's going to get hurt. He cannot, ret- uh, he can't leave return short in the court where he's going to get hurt. Um, so yeah, I, I think Fritz is going to ask a lot of him. Um, again, I, I do think the peripheral skills are going to be important. I think we see a very tactical match from Nadal and, uh, I go Rafa in four. Yeah. I, I, I just say five because I think Fritz again, physically, like if Fritz wins one of the first two sets, I think he's winning set three for sure. And like, that's the question. Yeah. And I think Fritz is going to win set one because I'm just well, saying, watch the film. He's been so good in first sets. Hasn't dropped a, a set. I don't think this week. Um, and so at this event and so I no, just, he hasn't. Yeah, I think he wins set one. I think Rafa always struggles, again, around that two-hour, 30, three-hour mark. And then it becomes a battle of wills in set number five, and you just never bet against Rafa in a battle of wills. Yeah, he has it Wimbledon. I know you said that at the top. I saved this. But, like, he's also he, – there are also obviously some high-profile examples this year where Rafa has – done a great job of getting better as the match goes on like the five setter against felix at the french where his fifth set was just immaculate uh just as an example that's Uh, a great comp i think this is his felix match i I agree yeah Uh, and i i meant to say that thank you yeah (laughs) yeah no that's the perfect comparison for it Uh, yeah i'm still gonna go four but but um this is this is a good test and again it's it's weird i'm excited to see how uh how it's the first match that I'm from Djokovic and Nadal perspective that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Can I get one 30 second soundbite from you on American men's tennis? We had what four in the round of 16, eight sure. in the third round for the first time since 95 Wimbledon and whatever, 96 us open sure. asterisk or no asterisk next to that. Does that, is that par for the course of where American men's tennis is headed? Yeah. I feel like you pronounced it right. 20 minutes ago with the asterisk and then you went to asterisk and I, I said asterisk in my John Wertheim interview recently. So I get it. It, it happens. Um, it's no, the, yeah, you, there's some great editing. It's still, I feel the lingering in the throat from the coughing <laughs> earlier. So I didn't want to risk it. There's no, uh, no, there's definitely no asterisk with, uh, with the success. And I think, uh, I forget who it was. One of them, I think it was Francis. He was like, we're all seated. Like we were all yeah. supposed to do this. Yeah, like, it's a good because everyone was like, wow, you guys did great. And Francis is like, we're seated. Like we're supposed <laughs> to make the third round. Very, um, very true. Right. And, and I think that's a good way of looking at it. I think the one guy who it, it hurts, you know, this Wimbledon hurts, it hurts for Francis because he, he, uh, he loses another tough one and he's still, um, well, look, I guess he, he wins the five setter against Rublev last year at the U S open, but it does feel like there are a lot of crushers for Francis at these majors. By the way, Francis is everything you want in terms of an on-court entertainer. Talk about a guy who just understands how to manipulate and get the best out of a tennis crowd. I mean, nothing's better than in the post-match press conference last one where he just goes, yeah, fuck David. Like, that's yeah. just – that's the perfect answer. It, it was the tone with which he gave it and the sarcasm and the joking, loving way in which he said it. Like, that is what this sport is at its best. Yes, and you know what? Besides being unfiltered, towards some of his competitors he's always going to keep it fully classy yes never going to talk any trash besides that um and you know he does the things on court that i think nick does and people love so much because he has attitude on court swagger on court 
that people gravitate to and they think, oh, wow, like he just hit a backhand volley winner and he held the finish for 10 seconds. Like that stuff's really fun and and really great. And, um, you know, people will also say like, well, why, why don't we promote Francis? Like we do Nick, you know, at the same time, Francis doesn't have the wins that Nick does. I think if Francis did, uh, he would be, he would have find a ton of mainstream appeal. We'll do this debate on a great shot podcast post Wimbledon. We'll do next gen tiers. Cause it sounds like we have some disagreement on who goes where, but then also, yeah, like absolutely in terms of best entertainers or just most captivating players, he has to be on that list. And, you know, it's an argument I've had before who had it, who getting good of this class of Americans would be the best thing for American men's tennis. Would it be Corda? Because Americans may not say it, you know, here on July 4th, they love dynasties. Yeah. We, uh, seceded from one in the Brits and we were I'm like, just going to say no that, right now though. Yeah. But like, I think the answer, so no Seb quarter, because again, he's a dynasty, right? Like his sisters, his dad, like that's a dynasty in a family. I think everyone can get behind the quarter family, but like it's Francis. It is unequivocally Francis. Him becoming a star would be the best thing. Yeah. It's Francis. It's, I don't think it's Seb. Cause I don't think his matches are, are as fun. Okay. Um, I think it's Francis. And, uh, or, or Brooksby, I think Brooksby also, I mean, the way he, the way he goes at it, Tommy, what about Tommy? Tommy is awesome. I know he's, he's handsome and his game is smooth and all that is great. Um, but, uh, no, I think it's, I think it's Brooksby for the way he goes at it and, and competes and is pretty in your face about the way he does that. Um, again, I, I, I really appreciate that. And I like that, uh, but it is Francis. I agree with you. All right. The, say, the international you know, audience, international Alexander audience doesn't Kovacevic. care about this. Yeah. I was going to say Alexander Kovacevic is like, what about me? Yeah. Um, they, they don't, they don't care. Life. They don't care. But speaking of entertainment value and I'll end on this, which quarterfinal are you most looking forward to on the men's side? Oh, Djokovic center. I mean, you got the, the unbreakable Novak Djokovic, the one everyone's chasing versus the next, next gen. Anytime you get those sorts of matchups, it just transcends everything else. Certainly, you know, again, power rankings, I think it goes Djokovic, Nadal match, then probably Nori Kyrgios. I think it's pretty clear cut, um, but they're all going to be good. Yes. Um, Even Gary yeah, Kyrgios for Well, wait, well we, no, we disagreed. We disagreed on one pick. We just, I took the fan, remember? Yeah, true. Um, um yeah, it still should be good. But I, I'm uh, saying, like, in terms of entertainment order, I think it's pretty clear as well. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I, I agree. Uh, Sinner Djokovic is is my number is my number one. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm I think I think the Nadal match can be unbelievable as well, and uh, we'll see. Whichever one is closer will probably be better. Gruskin, this was fun as always. Thanks for coming on always and pleasure, uh, podcasts. So. Tell everyone how to find uh, the the daily podcasts. You go to YouTube, you search Monday Match Analysis, but better. And when you do, Crack Rackets <laughs> is going to come up. No, of course, uh, find a mini break podcast, Cracked Interviews, Great Shot Podcast. We've got recaps every day on mini break, picks every day for you, GSP. All of it available, CrackedRackets.com, wherever you listen to your podcast. And yes, it is always a friend, uh, always a friend, always fantastic to see your smiling face, my friend. You too, buddy. Thanks.